Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Here's the Issue with me, Reese. We're back after about two weeks of missing. I uh, had like strep or something. I don't know, throat hurt. <clears throat> and so I figured it was best for me not to speak for an hour straight. But we're back now with about three weeks of missed news, so we have quite a bit to dig into. As well, there's been quite a good bit of breaking news in the past week in and of itself. So let's jump right into it. We're going to kick it off talking about the Rittenhouse trial. Uh, at this point, I'm just going to assume you are all familiar with Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, if not, Google it. Um, whoever you Google will probably be able to do it more justice than I will. Um, so, Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty uh, on five counts of the various charges um, by the jury. I must say this was a very, very political trial. Um, the jury was essentially like followed and threatened. Um, Basically, there were threats by the left that, oh, if Kyle Rittenhouse um, is found not guilty, people will riot. Uh, we haven't seen that as much as they claimed or as some on the right fear, so that's good news. But still, um, as well, the prosecution really sucked, and it really illustrated how political this was. Um, prosecution, for example, talked about how uh, Kyle didn't really, like, talk about really talk about the event at all afterwards, kept silent, um, and the judge really grilled into the, tore into the prosecutor about that, because that's normal, that's what people do. When you're um, being charged with a crime, you don't talk about it publicly, that's very normal. As well, the prosecution, when um, basically showing a gun, I don't know if it was Kyle's exact gun or a gun like Kyle used, whatever it was, but the prosecution had its finger on the trigger, pointing it at the jury and at like various people in the courtroom. And anyone who knows anything about gun safety knows you always treat a gun like it's loaded, and you never put your um, finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Um, so it just demonstrates, you know, how little the prosecution actually knew about any of this. And again, it calls into question um, how well the prosecution really understood what they were doing. Um, as well, it just Le it basically demonstrates some of the politicization of this trial. If it was not for the um, basically big political news um, that uh, this that that Kyle Rittenhouse caused, there's no way this ever would have gone to trial. It was such a blatant case of um, self-defense. Literally, one of the people that got shot, the, the one that got shot and survived, literally said in court that he did not that a Kyle did not point his gun at him until he pointed his gun at Kyle. <laughs> that's that's literally textbook self-defense. Come on now, that's insane. So, Rittenhouse, um, much to the, um, I guess, thrill of the right and the sadness of the left, was found not guilty. Now on to what people have been calling the Ahmed Arbery trial, but really it's the trial of the people who killed Ahmed Arbery. I am pronouncing his name wrong, I know. I'm sorry, but I'm not good at pronouncing names. Um, so his killers were found guilty. Um, this was found, I guess, to the surprise of the left, who thought, you know, in a classic case of American white supremacist um, systematic racism, they would be found um, not guilty, but they were in fact found guilty um, because they literally were trying to arrest someone for a crime they didn't see committed, and imagine if you're Arbery. Are you just gonna let some random people show up you and arrest you? That's how you get kidnapped. 
Imagine if that was like the standard that anyone who showed up and just randomly tried to arrest you, you had to do whatever they said. Literally, people would be getting kidnapped left and right. This is like the worst. That would be the worst standard ever to create. So, of course, of course, his killers were found guilty. Um, much to the happiness of the left and to really no fanfare on the right. Um, there were pretty much, pretty much most people on the right thought the killers should also be um found guilty, and there really was like no one on the right was really talking about that too much. No one was really blazingly coming to their defense like they were for Kyle Rittenhouse. So now we just had the great uh holiday of Thanksgiving this past week. Yeah, I don't like it's not weekend because it was Thursday. I hope you all had a great time. I know I did. Um, but so with this holiday, we have to deal with some of our elites having very, very terrible takes on this. Um, for example, I forget who, but um basically someone in the government or some, I don't know, cultural figure or whatever talked about how tofu was cheaper than turkey, and so we all should switch to tofu. And I mean that really just falls on deaf ears. People don't want to change their diet. Diet is part of culture. You know, that's literally like saying like, oh, you know what? Get rid of your culture because it's cheaper not to have it. Um, and it's ignorance like that that leads to the degradation of culture. And, you know, this really is um, illustrative of the larger idea that elites essentially want to... Uh, elites don't view individuals... Well, at least the people we have in charge right now do not view people as individuals with individual preferences and hopes and desires and dreams. They view them as literal cogs in the machine. Um, and so, you know, a lot of them would be happier if everyone just ate a soybean and tofu diet because it's cheaper and they can grow it easier. You know, they, they ignore that food is part of what brings people joy. And they think, oh, it's all right. It's, it's maximum efficiency if we just ate the same thing every day. But they ignore the sort of pleasure and fulfillment people can have, not just from eating different things, but also from cooking different things. A lot of people find a lot of joy in cooking. <clears throat> but that's something that the central planners will never understand. And that's why they believe in central planning, is because they can never understand that each individual has their own likes and preferences. They don't understand that they can't just prescribe something to all, all the people and have it work out perfectly fine for everyone. As well, there was a Bloomberg article um, saying that higher prices sure make you thankful for having a smaller family. This is really, this is really how they're going to slice it. You know, um, here we inflated everything. Aren't you happy that now there are less people in your family? Aren't you happy that, you know, you're only having like one kid or your, your family itself is breaking down? Aren't you happy because now things are getting more expensive? They're they're gonna we're just gonna keep inflating, 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 making things more and more and more expensive. We're gonna disincentivize having kids as much as possible. I don't know. That's the thing with these the central planners and people trying to run this country if they don't understand that the things bring people in fulfillment. It's just not money and prosperity, but also, you know, people have emotional and part of that is fulfilled with family. Well, that's what I have to say on Thanksgiving.
now here comes some horrible news. There is now apparently a new COVID variant. This is the Omicron variant. So, um, we had Delta and now we have Omicron. Um, I just want to say, why can't we get a better name? I don't know. I don't like that name. Um, I think it's too long. I feel like Delta is a very short name. Omicron is too long, too many syllables. I would prefer a different name. This variant seems to be originating in Africa. And many places are now banning air travel to, from Africa, including like the, uh, the Eurozone and Asian countries. With this happening, I just want to uh, bring up, did, did the Democrats ever apologize for calling Trump racist for banning travel from China at the breakout of COVID? Because that's now literally the worldwide standard is when there's a new variant, you ban travel from that country. Remember when there was that, that, that Britain variant? And they banned all the um, airplanes from Britain. I remember that. Um, so yeah, Democrats are going to apologize for that. The obvious answer is no, but still something to ponder. As well, I want to say with this new variant, um, yeah, kind of obviously going to happen. When you put in all these measures that, I guess, slow down people getting it, you're going to spread out the, um, whatchamacallit, Basically, what I'm trying to get at is that if everyone would just would have all gotten it all at once, it would have just been done and over. And now, when you're dragging it out, you're bringing, you're giving the virus more time and opportunity to mutate, which is exactly what a bunch of us were saying at the beginning. As well, um, as it mutates, it's just gonna keep mutating again and again. We're gonna go through endless cycle of lockdown and lockdown and lockdown because a lot of world leaders and a lot of elites don't understand or don't want to understand. That's just something we got to live with. Just like, you know, we live with the flu. You know, we live with the common cold. Uh, people get strep. People get sick. That's just all there is to it. Um, <clears throat> as well, now we have Fauci saying that, hey, we're going to have to learn to live with the virus. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's, what? that's what we've been saying since the very beginning. We have to learn to live with the virus. We can't shut everything down. You can't live like that. If we can't institute, you know, policies that are something we can live with in the long term, there's no point instituting them because this is something that's going to be here with us. That's all there is to it. And until it basically goes through everyone on the planet, just like pretty much the flu has, we're still going to see these spikes here and there. And then, But you know what? Once everyone gets it at least once, then it's going to be just like the flu. So next up on our list of topics, we have Austria. Not Australia, which has been having horrible lockdowns, but Austria now. Originally, they were going to have a lockdown of the unvaccinated. One, this basically proved that the, vac the unvaccinated were going to become second-class citizens, which many people have been saying, many of the anti-mandate people have been saying again and again, that where this is headed is that unvaccinated become second-class citizens. First, you ban them from everywhere, then you're going to be having them locked down, you're going to take away their rights, saying, oh, we're not taking away their rights, because if they just get vaccinated, they can have them all back. The thing about rights is they're unconditional. They're unalienable. Um, they can't be taken away. They're inherent to every individual. If it's conditional, it's not a right at all. Um, and I believe a lot of things are rights, and they're liberties. And we should fight for them, no matter what. No matter what government says. If the government says, we're going to just start killing people randomly, are you going to say, oh, I'll, I'll follow along with that for sure? 
Because you know what? I'm starting to think a lot of people would. Where do people draw the line? When do people say enough is enough? When do people say, ah, uh, you know what? I'm not going to follow that government edict. And if you're not, if there is, if there's any government edict that you're willing to not follow, then you have conceded the point that it's okay not to follow certain government edicts if you disagree with them. And I, I, I agree with that. I think we shouldn't follow government edicts that we disagree with, especially when we disagree with them on very um, philosophical grounds and moral grounds. Um, do you think that? Do you not think that these lockdowns are morally abhorrent? Do you not think forcing businesses to force people to get vaccinated is morally abhorrent? I do. I don't think people should be forced to do things. People should do things of their own free will. Anyway, back to Austria. Even with this more severe lockdown, um, they decided, you know what, it's not enough. We're actually going to lock down everyone in the country. Not just the vaccinated, but the unvaccinated. You're all locked down. As well, they're going to have a country-wide vaccine mandate. That's right. Austria is the first to say, you know what, we're going to force every single one of our um, citizens to get the vaccine. I do not know of that ever happening before. Um, at least in any democratic nation, in any government that pretends to care about individual liberty. If you think the government can forcibly stick a needle in your arm, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, I don't care if it's the elixir of life. If you think the government has a right to stick a needle in your arm and inject you with anything, even let it be saline solution. If you think the government has a right to do that, what doesn't the government have a right to do? Because the thing about emergency government powers is there is no such thing as an emergency. It's such a subjective term that if you let the government do it in an emergency, they're going to be able to do it in a non-emergency. Because everything's always an emergency. Why do you think so many people have the language of saying, oh wow, public housing is the national emergency, the national crisis. The opioid epidemic is a national crisis, a national emergency. Trust me, if, if politicians want power, there will be some crisis to justify the emergency powers being used. So if you think the government can do this, you think the government can do a lot more. As well, I think it's abhorrent for us to um, stick anyone with a needle and inject anything. You know, disregard any of like the, oh, whether it's good, whether it's bad for you. Even if it was neutral, if it was just like saline solution. You know, wouldn't you say forcing people that are have a phobia of needles to get injected with this, wouldn't that be, you know, horrible? And a horrible use of government power? I just, I can't understand how anyone can justify forcing people to get a vaccine. I, I just, it's horrid. And with, now on the topic of government overstep, New York Governor Kathy Hochul cancels elective surgeries. Ooh, that's right, that's right. So if you're in New York State and you want to have a surgery that's not horribly life-threatening, uh, now it's canceled. Yep, have fun getting your surgery. This, this contributes to excess death. Remember, remember that. Because these problems are going to multiply. They're going to get worse. A lot of these surgeries are happening because, you know, they, they need to happen. It's not just, no one just wakes up and goes, hmm, randomly I'm going to get a surgery. I mean, I guess unless... You're getting plastic surgery. But even that's only some case. Some plastic surgery is actually um, like very necessary. But regardless. Um, 
Most of these surgeries are surgeries that have a good reason to happen, and now they're being cancelled. This is going to lead, one, to a, without a doubt, more suffering. Two, if not, most definitely to um, more deaths as well. Because think about it. If you're, you're going to let something get worse and worse and worse, everyone is having these elective surgeries. There's no guarantee they're going to uh, survive. Or if they do survive, there's no guarantee that their problem might get so worse that it shortens their lifespan anyway. This policy, you know, Democrats accuse a lot of Republicans keeping their states open as killing people. This is literally going to kill people. They're literally killing people. Um, but Democrats don't care. Why would they? Who cares? So I just want to ask you guys, how do you think the government has the power to do this? I mean, come on now. Literally, if you let the governor have the power to randomly just cancel surgeries, like, what other power? Think of all that other power they must also have. What if she randomly canceled surgeries even if there wasn't? you know, the pandemic. It's like I said before, there's always a crisis. So once you let, um, whatchamacallit, once you let, once you let government have one power, it's always a crisis. They can always use it no matter what. What if, what if Kathy Hochul says, you know what, due to the climate emergency, we need to cut back on the use of fossil fuels and cut back on the use of energy. So we're going to cancel elective surgeries to save, to essentially save electricity. That's, that's something Democrats could reasonably do, in my opinion. Maybe not tomorrow, but in the next five years, definitely. What if she did that? Um, would you then advocate for, social for civil disobedience? Or would you prefer they never have the ability in the first place? Because I, I doubt anyone would go along. Actually, no, that's not true. You know what? I think if Kathy Hochul did that, there would be some crazy people that say, you know what, you're right. I'm not going to get my surgery to save the environment. Kill yourself to save the environment. I mean... I'm pro-environment, but I wouldn't kill myself over it. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that wouldn't want to go along with that. Um, are you going to say, advocate for, oh, we need, to, we need to have civil disobedience for this thing? Or would you rather not have to be civilly disobedient in the first place? Because the thing about civil disobedience is it it sucks. Because, one, you can't do what you want to do in the first place. Two, you have to break the law. You have to get imprisoned. Henry David Thoreau, after not paying taxes to support the Mexican-American War, literally was in jail. That kind of sucks, guys. Uh, when I think Henry David Thoreau would have much rather um, not have had the war in the first place, you know? Um, and likewise, I would much rather not have Kathy Hochul have the power to cancel surgeries anyway. Where did this power even stem from? You know, the entire point of the Constitution was supposed to be laying out um, the powers of the governments. And states have constitutions, too. They're supposed to grant powers. Um, where was this power granted? It was never granted. The government just grabs power, grabs power, grabs power. It's the Hamiltonian interpretation of the Constitution, where they go, as long as it's not prohibited, we can do it. That's a, that's a disastrous, disastrous interpretation because it essentially allows the government to do everything because at the end of the day they'll find some whacked out justification for it for example the government right now pretty much everything every law the federal government has especially business regulation stems from the commerce clause which states that governments can regulate commerce between the states 
but they use that to justify regulating businesses that operate wholly and entirely in a state, only to state people. They still use that as a justification for regulating that um, one state business. They'll just twist every law, every um, clause, every sentence in law again and again to do whatever they want to do because they want to do it and they think they have the right to do it. They think they have the right to rule your lives. I disagree. I think the only one that has a right to rule your life is you. And we shouldn't give that up. So now, uh, so, okay, here's another silly law coming out of California. California, the biggest exporter of silly laws and uh, Californian refugees to Texas. You know, wait, I, I cracked that as a joke, but let me just talk about for a quick second. A bunch of people are fleeing uh, California, but then voting for the same garbage policies of Texas. And they're turning Texas blue. This is insane. Imagine saying, wow, I hate communism so much. I'm going to flee the Soviet Union. And then you go to America and then, like, join the Communist Party in America. I mean, are you a moron? Are you an idiot? The people that flee California and then vote for the same democratic policies that destroyed California are stupid. That's just all there is to it. All right, all right. Okay, so Los Angeles has a new mandate for businesses. Food delivery services cannot provide utensils or condiments unless specifically asked for. So that means on Uber Eats, DoorDash, um, whatever else people are using, um, unless the customer specifically asks for um, utensils or condiments, uh, they cannot be provided. I mean, if a business were to institute this policy, I mean, it seems like an alright policy on the food list, to be honest. I mean, yeah, you're limiting waste. Um, seemingly, maybe this will save some time for businesses, save some money. I don't know. Um, I certainly don't like to see waste, so on the surface, you know, hey, this doesn't seem so bad. But you always have to remember, even if you agree with a policy, it doesn't necessarily mean the government has the power to enact it. Do you really think the pow the government should have the power to micromanage delivery services like this, to mandate that they cannot, they people, ha they cannot risk provide utensils or condiments unless asked for. I mean, I, I can't see how you can justify the government having that sort of power. If they have that power, think of everything else they'll be able to do. Every other micromanaging. You know, it's just one more law. The, the more laws, the harder it is to run any sort of like business or company or anything. Um, and so, like, at this point, we're reaching a point where small businesses being crowded out, not just by big box stores, but by government. You have to be a lawyer to start a business. There's so many forms and laws and regulations, so much liability. How could you ever start a business without being a lawyer? And imagine if every small business to start it needed a law degree. Think of how, how few businesses would be started. Think of how most small businesses start out with just someone having like a side project or a side hustle they do and they realize they like it so much they try to turn it into something big that's their hopes and dreams and passions and what's preventing a lot of people from doing that is all these regulations all this confusing paperwork imagine if you made it easier to start a business how many people would think of how many people think oh i'm gonna start a business start looking into it and realize it's way too complex and they could ever understand not because the business itself is complex 
but because the government regulation surrounding it is too complex. Isn't that sad? Isn't that horrible to think about? But, you know, government's going to continue and continue and continue to make more and more laws. And, to be honest, they rarely ever do anything. I mean, if you've ever had to fill out government forms, have you ever thought, wow, this must be so helpful? No, you think this is so useless and stupid. That's what everyone thinks. You'll never find anyone that's pro all the government paperwork, but yet it's still there. It has to be there, because that's how government operates. Alright, so now we switch gears a little, up to the national level. Another brief on the infrastructure slash reconciliation bills that were linked, so I've been talking about them linked, though they're kind of come unlinked now as the, as the infrastructure bill is now fully signed. And a lot, they're now kind of unlinked, so I probably won't talk about infrastructure and them linked too much more, but for today we will. So, right now, as I'm sure you guys know, Mitch McConnell is the Senate Minority Leader, and Kevin McCarthy is the House Minority Leader, and there seems to be a divide amongst them on the infrastructure bill. For example, Mitch McConnell voted for the infrastructure bill, and says that it is a godsend for um, Kentuckians, as well views the bill in a very positive light. Um, McCarthy, on the other hand, um, did not vote for the bill and used it as a basically spending spree by Democrats. I mean, well, let me be clear. I completely agree with McCarthy. I think it's a shame that the infrastructure bill passed, and I'm very sad that um, so many Republicans in the House voted for it. As a quick rebrief, 19 out of 50 senators, Republican senators, voted for it, and about 13 out of 200-some um, Republicans in the House voted for it. So, pretty much very bipartisan in the Senate, but not so bipartisan in the House. Um, and it's just very interesting to see this divide, how the Senators are so much more in favor of it than the House is. Part of that probably has to come from the fact that the Senators pretty much got to write it and the House did not. So there's probably a lot of pork barrel spending for those Senators. The other day I was saying how we can expect to see a lot more... Pat Toomey Memorial Bridge, uh, Rob Portman Memorial Bridge, Mitt Romney Memorial Bridges, because that must be what they got out of it. Because if not, it was just a gigantic win to Democrats, a giant boondoggle to cronyism, and uh, more pressure on inflation. A horrible bill that should not have been passed at all. Um, now on to the reconciliation bill. So on the 19th of November, the House passed the Reconciliation Bill after a pretty late week, I guess, a long week, whatever you want to call it. It was a pretty much a party-line vote, except for one Democrat who voted against it. Um, so now, so it just passed in the House. It is not law, it passed in the House, and it now goes to the Senate, where it will most surely be rewritten, because the House version basically um, was not agreed to by uh, Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema, so it will most surely get rewritten in the Senate. And then it will, then they'll go through the conference um, process in which then both chambers will vote on it again. And we'll see if the House Democrats can agree to those changes. If not, um, you, may, you may still see this fall apart. I also want to talk about how on the 17th, Joe Biden was in Baltimore trying to basically, you know, do the PR for this bill. And he said that it will decrease inflation, which um is stupid that's a really stupid thing to say uh printing more money because let's be clear this was not the the infrastructure bill was not paid for at all 
Um, so they're just going to print more money to do it. And if they're going to print more money to do it, um, that's increasing the money supply. Um, more dollars chasing the same amount of goods. Prices go up. We have inflation. It's textbook example. It causes inflation. Of course, the, the thing is, is that most of the economists nowadays don't understand how to measure inflation at all. And I'll, I'll get to this at a later segment. So I guess I'll leave that for now. So now we um, come to the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, quick brief on that. That's the yearly bill that basically funds the military, the troops, and sets forth some policies too. It's not just all spending. Um, it's big, gigantic, um, always caused some sort of stir, usually passed very bipartisanly, though. So um, basically, it's only a couple more weeks until the um, Christmas recess for the um, Congress, and the Senate wants to make sure it gets passed before that. Uh, uh, Schumer, who is Democratic majority leader, um, hopefully actually wants to get the um, NDAA through by Wednesday, this Wednesday, which is a very, very short time frame. But it's already passed in the House, I believe, so I mean, I guess not impossible, but still unlikely, especially in a 50-50 Senate. Um, as well, it's subject to the Motorama, which means um, basically a crap ton of amendments being voted on on the um, bill. And so um, with a 50-50 Senate, the Republicans only need to ever pick off one Democrat to basically get an amendment passed. So that would be interesting, especially if it's an amendment that only one Democrat likes gets tacked on. You might see Democrats, basically Schumer, holding up the bill then because let's be real, the um, majority leader and Speaker of the House can basically prevent any bill from ever getting passed by just holding it up indefinitely. So while Schumer can't single-handedly pass things, he can't single-handedly fail things. And we'll definitely use that leverage accordingly. Also, as I said, you know, a couple weeks before the holiday recess. Um, and so government funding. Uh, as you remember, maybe back, oh, I forget when. I guess maybe September, maybe October. Oh, it was October 1st. That's right. I don't know. It was the national regular start of the fiscal year. Uh, government was running out of funding. Uh, there was no, basically no budget in place when there needed to be. And so um, Democrats and Republicans had a temporary, um, temporary, like, uh, temporary funding of the government. Temporary funding of the government. And um, that ran out, runs out in December. It's now almost December. Um, and so funding is set to run out on Friday. That means this Friday we may, we may have a government shutdown, which for me and those like me is very exciting because I love when the government shuts down because it demonstrates how useless they are. Um, and so basically they have to, in this week, Democrats and Republicans have to find some sort of agreement to continue to fund the government. Right now, Dems are trying to get a stopgap measure in that will last until late January, uh, whereas Republicans are looking to get one to last until late March. I, I, I don't know why the difference. I could not tell you why they went later or later. Um, so yeah, I just want to say, are they ever going to pass a budget? I don't think they will. I can't remember the last time we had a budget. They never pass a budget. It's always these measures. Um, and it, I think it's just because they like the leverage. They like the leverage of government funding running out and they like to use the leverage against each other. And so they keep the leverage there. Okay. As well, 
as you guys remember, um, the small sort of suspension of the debt ceiling happened, and supposed to like run out in December, early December. So we should be looking in the news for that, for um, seeing Democrats having to raise the um, the debt ceiling. So back late September, early October, Democrats were in a bad position, trying to pass infrastructure, reconciliation, dealing with government shutdown, dealing with uh, national debt ceiling. And where are they now? Well, they passed the infrastructure, but that's about it. Still in the same place. Um, and that's two months later. So very, uh, I was going to say sad to see, but I mean, I don't want them to succeed. So I guess happy for me? Good. Anyway, um, Steve Bannon, as some of you may be familiar, as one of the, I guess, people in Trump's ear at the beginning of, one, his election, and two, his presidency, um, is now being prosecuted for disobeying a House subpoena. He has been indicted and <clears throat> an arrest warrant signed, and he has been arrested. Um, I don't know. I haven't really looked into it, frankly. My gut says it's all political. Like, I'm, like literally arresting the advisor um, of a former president Let's be real. Pretty much everyone that high up is committing crimes. They're all they're all committing crimes. They're all criminals. Um, and so purposefully arresting just this one, especially one I'm sure the, uh, like I'm sure there are political forces behind this that are corrupt as well. Um, and so yeah, it's probably just purely political retribution. Uh, Steve Bannon probably do something wrong. Yeah, probably. Um, they all do. Um, and so I guess it's not an excuse to say, oh, we let them get away with it because everyone else does. It's more of the fact that, like, I would want Steve Bannon indicted because of the crime he committed. They want Steve Bannon indicted because he's Trump's guy. That's, that's the difference, and so I'm unsympathetic to their reasoning. Now, with that being said, we now turn to the subject of elections, one of my favorite things to discuss. So, um, Sean Parnell, who is running for, um, running as the Republican nominee for, um, while running to get the Republican nomination for Senate in Pennsylvania to replace uh, Patrick Toomey, um, he drops out. Basically, there was a court case going on for custody of his kids. He had a divorce with his wife. She alleges that he was abusive, and so they were fighting over custody of the kids, and he lost. And so he has now dropped out. Now, this could potentially be good for um, Republicans here. Because one, um, Parnell already had secured a very ringing endorsement from Trump and was leaning very, very heavily into uh, Trump's rhetoric. So for anyone to replace him as the nominee would lead to a very, very brutal primary. And um, and one, one of the good indicators of who's going to win the election is the, the whoever had the least brutal primary. For example, um, back in 2016, one of the things people say might have caused Hillary Clinton's loss is how brutal primary she had with Bernie Sanders. Now, there was a brutal Republican primary, but it was brutal because Trump basically hit every candidate over the head with a hammer, and no one could land a single pump punch on Trump. Whereas in the Democratic primary, Bernie and basically Bernie was hammering Hillary brutally hard. Um, so yeah. Um, so like I was saying, with this, a brutal um, <clears throat> A brutal primary could really hurt uh, the Republicans for Pennsylvania Senate. <clears throat> and so um, this might clear the way 
for a not-so-Trump-heavy Republican, but also one that's not anti-Trump either. Because an anti, if, if the anti-Trump Republican won the primary, then that would turn up a lot of the Trump base, and there's a good chance that they then might lose the, um, whatchamacallit, lose the general election due to a um, very, I guess, unenthusiastic base. So, yeah. His dropping out could lead to a good candidate, a sort of like Glenn Youngkin candidate that can walk the line. Someone who can secure Trump's endorsement, but not lean so heavily into him. Um, that would clear the way perfectly to win the um, win the um, Senate seat. Keep in mind, you know, Virginia is at like a, was like ten points plus Trump. You know, Pennsylvania did just go for Trump in twenty sixteen narrowly lost him in 2020, and so, you know, there was a candidate that could recreate Glenn Youngkin's success and move the needle 10 points, he, that, that Republican candidate would then win, 10, win by 10% in the uh, general, which would be a good, solid victor for Republicans. As well, um, Senator Patrick Leahy announces his retirement. He is a Democrat from Vermont. He is currently the longest-serving senator. Um, and he is the first Democratic senator to retire in this election cycle. Um, usually this points out to, like, party sentiment about their um, chances. So a lot of Republican senators have been announcing their retirement, and people have been saying, oh, this points to them, basically Republicans feeling they're going to get shellacked in the Senate um, election, which may be true. Um, however, a lot of Democratic um, House members are retiring. And a lot of people are saying this points to Democrats getting shellacked in the House, which they most likely will. Um, but I think this is really, this is a sort of a natural thing to occur. Like I said, he's the longest serving senator right now. He's super old. Um, Vermont is not going to flip red. Um, and so I think this is just a very natural thing. We shouldn't read too much into it. Now on a talk of the 2024 presidential election. There's a lot of talk recently about Joe Biden uh, running for re-election. And I want to say, um, isn't that crazy? I don't know about you guys, but I remember uh, him saying that he wouldn't run for re-election during the campaign in 2020. That was part of his, his shtick. Everyone was saying, oh, he's too old. Think of how old he's going to be. And he said, don't worry, I'm only going to run for one, one term. And it was like, oh, if he's only going to run for one term, he won't be that old then. I remember Joe Biden saying that he wouldn't run for re-election. And... And now, basically, um, they're trying to gaslight everyone into thinking he didn't say that and think, thinking it's completely normal for him to run when he's basically breaking a promise. And no one's asked him that. Why has no one asked him that? Oh, yeah, because the, Demo the corporate media is in the pocket of the Democrats and do their bidding. Oh, geez. So, but to be honest, I don't think Joe Biden will survive until 2024. And so I don't think he'll be running for president in 2024. A lot of people think that uh, Kamala Harris would be the next run, but it appears a lot of insiders think she's going to lose. Because the New York Times basically randomly, literally randomly, runs a, a murderous hit piece on Kamala Harris. This was definitely coordinated by the Democrats, because it's just so random, um, and no one's even questioning Harris. And now all of a sudden, New York Times brings out the gigantic hammer like from a cartoon, and smash with her so she's flat on the ground again with the cartoon. Um, so that was hilarious to see. Um, and now, now, again, 
the corporate media is in the pocket of Democrats. Now they're really trying to talk up Pete Buttigieg um, about him being, you know, the next nominee. And my golly, Pete Buttigieg is a manufactured politician. Look at him. Look at how generic he looks. He's just some random guy they plucked off the streets. The dude was mayor of South, South Bend, Indiana. Who here even heard of South Bend, Indiana before Pete Buttigieg ran? Mayor, don't forget South Bend, Indiana is where Domino's Pizza fixed the potholes for their commercials. Where they said, yeah, you know what? The streets are so bad, we're going to fix them ourselves. Domino's Pizza had to fix the potholes where Pete Buttigieg was mayor. And the Biden administration made him Secretary of Transportation. What does that man know about transportation? He can't even fix potholes. Come on now. They literally manufactured it out of thin air. He won, he won the Iowa caucuses, which was so random. This dude nationally had no recognition. But the dude just like lived, I swear, to, I swear. He must have like lived in Iowa for like two months straight. And all he did was go door-to-door campaigning. Because the dude literally won Iowa. And then he, like, didn't he tie second for Bernie in New Hampshire? Like, come on. And they take him. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to make him Secretary of Transportation. I mean, come on now. They could have at least made him Secretary of, like, Veterans Affairs. The dude is a veteran. You know what I mean? Like, I'm as much as I think Pete Buttigieg sucks, I at least think that as Secretary of Veterans Affairs, he, I think he would at least, one, know somewhat what he's talking about, and two, at least have some care about it. But my golly, then, um, so they make Pete Buttigieg, um, Secretary of Transportation after having no experience and just being the mayor of some town, um, and they trot him out for this infrastructure bill. They literally just take him out and just poke him around and say, yeah, I go talk to people. He does a little. Then he randomly, he goes on, um, paternity leave, like, and no one notices he's gone. They don't notice he's gone until like two months in his paternity leave. They're like, um, where has the Secretary of Transportation been? Oh yeah, he's on paternity leave. No one noticed. No one noticed he was gone. And now, now, now they're trotting him out again to say stuff. But no one cares what he says. Because he has nothing to, important to say. He's literally just like, insert Democratic talking point here. That's Pete Buttigieg, manufactured politician, and they want him to run. Just like, just like how in 2004, after Barack Obama announced, gave that speech for John Kerry at the DNC, um, basically they went out to Obama and said, hey, how about we make you president because we don't want it to be Hillary Clinton in 2008. Um, that's what they're doing with Pete Buttigieg, um, and Kamala Harris is Hillary Clinton. Which is a fair comparison considering um, Kamala Harris seems even less human and less relatable than Hillary Clinton, which is probably her most impressive feat. So now, one more piece of news. Well, not one more piece of news, but I guess one more piece of political news. So, a couple weeks ago, um, Kamala Harris was in France. Um, <clears throat> she was sent to repair relations with France after the nuclear sub-deal with Australia. And so, for those of you that don't remember, basically, France was crafting a deal with Australia to sell subs to Australia. Uh, the U.S. and Britain came in and said, Ah, screw that deal. Australia, we're going to sell you nuclear subs. And Australia said, Okay, sounds good. Um, without consulting the French at all. Um, and so the French basically got thrown under the bus with that one. Um, and so the, the French were upset, and so they sent Kamala Harris over to smooth it over, which, one, is a dumb idea. Um, because Kamala Harris is an idiot and, um, very, 
personable and personal. Ah, she's a horrible person to interact with. <laughs> but irregardless, so Harris said they did not talk about the sub deal at all, which is stupid. That's so stupid. If if like, <laughs> you know, like the French are upset about the sub deal, we better go smooth it over. Let's send the vice president, but then not talk about it. Talk about the elephant in the room. Come on now. How do you not talk about it? That's the entire reason you're there. Um, so to be honest, I I don't believe that. That would that that's so impossible. Like, even if they let's say they sent Kamala Harris over for a different reason, they still would have to talk about it. This is like the biggest thing to happen in like French US relations. How do you not talk about it? Like, come on now. What? Um, so yeah, they probably lied. I'm to be honest, I don't know why. One, because because who believes they didn't talk about the deal? That's that's such an unbelievable thing to say. Two, why would you not want to talk about the deal? Like, that was the entire point of going over there. Everyone expects you to talk about the deal. Everyone, like, wants you to talk about the deal. Um, I just don't get why they would lie about this. It makes no sense to me. Okay. So now we're on to the economic news of the day. Um, and that main topic is going to be inflation. Um... So the Dollar Tree is now the Dollar Twenty Five Tree, which I think is hilarious. Um, one because it illustrates a twenty five percent inflation rate. Um, two because it's such a like so many people are getting so mad about it. Like I I'm not too mad about it, um, but a lot of people are, and it's great to see everyone getting mad. And they're not getting mad at Dollar Tree either; they're all getting mad at the government, which is right. Right, the government is the one pushing up prices. Um, so economists have been saying all this inflation is going to be transitory. Um, but like, it's been lasting years, and now they're saying, yeah, transitory. It might last for multiple years. That's what transitory means. Yep, definitely. They're literally gaslighting everyone. Because that's not what they said. They were like, transitory, we'll be here a couple months. Now they're like, transitory? Transitory means a couple years. It's transitory, transitory can, transitory just means like temporary, okay? Technically, in the grand scheme of things, everything is temporary, you know? Eventually, inflation is going to go down. You know, if you go on a big enough time horizon, temporary could be 30 years. Transitory inflation. Yep, that just means 30 years. And the 40th year will go down. Oh my god. Um, as well, they have such a horrible misunderstanding of inflation, okay? The way they calculate inflation are through, like, the CPI, the PPI, whatever. They calculate it by measuring changing prices, okay? thing is that inflation is not just changing prices it's it's the change in like money supply pretty much okay when there's more money chasing the same amount of goods prices go up that's the inflation okay not just price changes because ima imagine everything in the economy stays the same imagine due to increased demand the price of like one good rises okay then the CPI would measure that as an increase in inflation because prices went up, even just that one. But that's not true. That's not inflation at all. That's just changing prices. As well, most the price of most things goes down over time as we come as we become more efficient at producing them and find cheaper ways to produce them. Okay. Now you might say that's not true. Look at everything. Prices increase. Yeah, prices increase because of inflation. Okay. You're like, oh, you know, this costed X amount in um, let's say like 1950. And then in 2000, it costed, like, Y amount, which is greater. So 
prices go up, when prices go up because of inflation. If there was no inflation, the price in 2000 actually should be lower than the price in 1950. But it's not because of inflation, which means inflation, you know, most ways to calculate inflation, you would take in you know, that increase in price from 1950 to 2000 and say, oh, that's the inflation rate. But really, the inflation rate is greater than that because the price should have naturally declined. And so when they measure these changing prices, they're not actually measuring inflation at all. But you know what? You know who does measure inflation correctly, okay? Who understands that when the government prints more money, there's more money chasing the same amount of goods, and that's the inflation. That causes prices to go up. You know who realizes that? The Austrian economists. Look up the Mises Institute, okay? Look at the Mises Institute. Look at what they've been saying. Look up economist Bob Murphy. This is what he's been saying. Inflation was going to happen. The Austrian economists, not just the Austrian economists, but anyone who knows Austrian economics at all, knew that there was going to be inflation. They knew there was going to be a, quite a bit of inflation. But yet all these so-called economists were surprised by the inflation. No, they're idiots. And they lied to you about the inflation. They lied. They hoped it was going to not be there. But now it is. And they can't lie to you anymore about it. Okay. So now I want to talk about something that doesn't happen too often. Both General Electric and Johnson & Johnson are having corporate breaks up, breakups. Um, I don't know exactly what way they're breaking up their company, but basically those giant conglomerates are breaking up. Now, this is very significant um, for a couple of reasons. I'm going to get into that. So I want to start out with saying many people say that businesses need to be regulated because if they aren't regulated, they will grow too big and become monopolies, and monopolies are bad for the consumer. Okay? Monopolies, generally speaking, are bad for the consumer. Like, true, true. But their claim that if businesses aren't regulated, they'll become monopolies is not true. Um, one, one, um, most monopolies, um, one, most things are hard to have monopolies in because the barriers to enter are so low, okay? It would be very hard to have a monopoly on, like, firewood because anyone can just go chop down a tree, chop up the firewood, and start selling it, okay? It would be pretty much impossible to have a monopoly on, um, firewood. You can apply this to a lot of other businesses. You really only ever see monopolies long, you only ever see long-term monopolies and businesses that have very high barriers to entry. Um, but irregardless, you know, mon monopolies do sometimes form, and they form based on economies of scale. That means by increasing production, they can basically lower costs by producing more at a time, um, by, spreading by spreading fixed costs over multiple products. Okay, uh, that's true. Economies of scale does enable a lot of businesses to grow. However, they always forget about this economy of scale. This economy of scale is when in basically growing bigger causes you to basically not necessarily produce less and less, but it's more expensive to produce each unit because you're just too big. They forget that businesses can become too large, too bureaucratic, and thus inefficient. Biologists, biologists know that if a cell gets too big, it becomes too inefficient to function. It must divide. Likewise, businesses cannot become too big because if they become too big, they become less and less profitable. So monopolies are very, very hard to maintain in the long run. Also, to be honest, a lot of the monopolies that have ever existed exist because of government. One, the biggest barriers to entry are almost always government-imposed barriers to entry regarding regulation, regarding licensing, 
regarding uh, just various other things. So, one, businesses are one of the biggest enablers of monopoly that way. As well, historically speaking, most monopolies existed because government granted them exclusive privileges to be a monopoly. Really, if you want to be anti-monopoly, you should be anti-government intervention in the economy. But anyway, these corporate breakups demonstrate that the market can naturally regulate itself. That the market will naturally regulate companies from becoming too big, okay? The market can naturally handle these large companies and break them up. Because if they're, they get too big to function efficiently, smaller firms become more inefficient. I mean, smaller firms become more efficient. And even if a smaller firm can't necessarily enter the, the market, which one, it should be able to do. Um, but even if it, for some reason, cannot, it makes more sense for the business itself to break up because it's more efficient for it to be smaller, which is what they're doing. Um, yes, also, I want to say a lot of businesses get so big, one, because government artificially props them up through preferential tax treatment, preferential regulation, but also, like I said, you know, big businesses can get so big that it's more profitable to be a smaller business. But they push down the profitability of small businesses through excessive regulation, like I talked about earlier. If every single small business owner has to become a lawyer, you're raising the cost of each of those small businesses. So by suppressing the profitability of small businesses, they make big business more profitable than small business, when naturally it would be the other way around, thus preventing the accumulation of big businesses. Okay, now we go on to... Um, economic indicators. So um, the Chicago Fed National Activity Index uh, is at 0.76, not percent, just like 0.76, that's the thing, that's the index. Previously it was at um, 0.18, oh, and that's the index for October. Jeez Louise, talk about a trailing indicator. Anyway, Existing home sales month over month for the month of October are up 8%. Um, nice. Previously, they were up 7%. Oh, they're, they're, they're up 0.8%, okay, so less than 1%. Um, previously, they were up 7%. Um, still increasing. Um, cool. Existing home sales um, for October. Oh, my God. There we go. Existing home sales for October were um, 6.3 million. Yeah, 6.34 million. Previously, they were 6.29 million, so increase. Um, okay, the 30-year um, mortgage rate for the week of November 19th is at 3.24%, increase from the previous of 3.2%, um, so still, you know, right above 3%. They have been for a while. The mortgage application for the week of October 9th up. 1.8% after being down 2.8%. Um, so just, you know, I don't know, probably normal fluctuation there. Um, mortgage refinance index for November, the week of November 19th. Uh, refinances are around, the, the, well, the index is at 2,706. Previously it was at 2,695. So I can only assume that means the refinances are increasing. Which doesn't make sense with basically mortgage rates hitting all-time highs. So yeah. Um, the mortgage market index for the week of October for no, the week of November 19th is 651. Previously was at 
639.9. So there's an increase. There we go. Durable goods orders, month over month for October, down 0.5%. Previously, it was down 0.4%. So small decrease. Um, you know, part of the thing is there's nothing to order, so um, that might be part of it. The um, goods trade, the trade balance um, advance for October, okay, is um, down. It's at, well, it's not down. It's, it's at negative 82 billion. Previously, it was down. It was, it was at negative 97 billion, so it's up. That means either imports are decreasing or exports are increasing or some combination of the both. Okay, wholesale inventories month over month um, advanced for October are at 2.2%. Um, previously, they are at 1.4%. That's good to see wholesale inventories going coming back up with a lot of shortages of things um, and supply bottlenecking. Um, it's good to see that inventories are increasing. The GDP growth rate quarter over quarter for uh, Q3, this is an estimate. Right now, we're at uh, 2.1%. Previously, I guess for Q2 then, it was at 6.7%. Um, so slowing growth, but still at 2.1% growth. Um, I don't know if that's adjusted for inflation or not. If it is adjusted for inflation, okay number. If it's not adjusted for inflation, that means it's actually a decrease. Okay. Initial jobless claims for the week of November 20th. Ooh, 199,000. That is a decrease, all right. Wow, it was previously 270,000. So that's like a 70,000 um, decrease. Breaking underneath um, 200,000. That's really nice. Um, the jobless claims four-week average um, is now at 252,000. Previously, it was 273,000. So... Good decrease. Uh, now we have corporate profits quarter over quarter preliminary for Q3. Um, up 4.2%, previously up 10.5%. Um, I don't know. I have nothing to say on that one. Um, durable. Ooh, I actually I do have something to say to that. If it's not adjusted for inflation, then that means it's actually the profits went down. Because if inflation's at 6%, and your profits only increased 4.2%, because remember they're in nominal terms, not real terms, that means you actually decrease in profit. Your purchasing power purchasing power with your profit is decreased than what you had before. Um, so if it's not a for inflation, which I don't think it is, that means corporate profits actually decrease. So that's what I have for you all. Okay, durable good orders, um, except transportation, month over month for October, up 0.5%, usually up 0.7%. So that's cool. Um, retail inventories, not including um, automotives, advanced month over month for October is 0.4%. Previously, it was up 0.8%, so still an increase, decreasing from the increasing, but still an increase. Um, real consumer spending quarter over quarter, so this is adjusted for inflation. It says real. Um, consumer spending Q over qu quarter over quarter for Q3, 1.7%, which is not that big of an increase, especially... The previous one was 12%. Um, so, yeah, probably like a normal increase. Um, continuing jobless claims for the week of November 13th are uh, basically 2 million. Previously, it was 2.1 million. So, it's good to see um, good to see that shrinking still. But the uh, 
forecast was 270, so that was less than, so it beat expectations, so that's cool. Um, so the core PCE prices quarter over quarter for Q3 estimate, 4.5%. Uh, well, that's what they basically say the inflation rate is. Um, obviously, we know it's much more than that. Um, because these indicators always underestimate it. Uh, why? One, because prices naturally get cheaper. Two, because they don't include things. Three, the way they weight it. Four, um, it's basically done like that on purpose to make inflation seem less than it actually is. Um, durable goods orders minus defense month over month for October up 0.8%. Previously down 1.9%. Um, so it's good to see that reversing and going up. Um, personal spending month over month for October. Now that's an interesting indicator. 1.3%, uh, up 1.3% previously, up 0.6%. Again, I don't know if this is just for inflation, meaning that these might actually be declining in real terms. Personal income month over month for October, up 0.5%, previously down 1%. Again, if it's not just for inflation, these are drastic decreases. All right, new home sales for October. Um, 754,000. 745,000, previously that 742,000, so an increase, cool. Good to have new homes. Increasing supply um, is going to help lower prices. Um, new home sales month over month up 0.4%, which is nice. Um, all right. Okay, here we go. Uh, pending home sales year over year for October, down 1.4%. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Think about October, October um, 2020, still that big, everyone wants to move um, because of the pandemic, so that's normal to see. Pending home sales month over month are up 7.5% though, which is um, really cool to see. Um, more pending home sales. All right, that appears to be all the indicators I have for you today. Um, in that case, that means it is, that means the show is over. Thank you all very much for listening to Here's the Issue with me, Reese. Have a good day, everyone.